Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. Our guest this week is Dallas Jenkins. He is the creator and director of an unbelievably hit series called The Chosen, about the life of Jesus Christ. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Dallas Jenkins joins me now. Dallas is the creator, producer, director, and co-writer of The Chosen, the first multi-season series about the life of Jesus and the largest crowdfunded media project of all time. In 2019, The Chosen broke the film industry's crowdfunding record with $10 million raised. Supporters were eager to see the story of Jesus told in a new way, with imagined storylines, character development, and focusing on the humanity of Jesus and those around him. The series has been seen by over 190 million people in over 125 countries. Dallas Jenkins is here with us today to talk about his life, his family, why he wanted to be a filmmaker, how the first multi-season series about the life of Jesus came to be, and the faith and the values that continue to sustain him. Joining me now, I'm pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Dallas Jenkins. Dallas, first question right out of the box. Where in the world and how did you get this great name, Dallas? Well, my father uh, actually in 1972 was at a, uh, it was an event in Dallas, Texas called Expo or Explo 72. And he uh, rededicated his life to Christ at that event and had a kind of a big profound spiritual moment. And so that that was kind of the, I think the the beginning stage of my of my name. So Dallas has a special place in his heart. Dallas, here's my question to begin with. I've seen interviews or heard interviews where you talk about Amanda, and it's very clear you married someone who, with yourself, is a person of deep faith. But I guess I wondered when I was hearing that, could you, in your life's choices, have chosen to share your life with a person who wasn't a believer? Oh no. No, I, I mean, no, that wouldn't have been possible, nor would it have been advisable, nor would it have been uh, healthy or beneficial. Uh, yeah, on, on uh, I don't know how to more strongly say the word no without being, without being uh, too too rude, but uh, no, that was not that 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 would never have happened. So you, you I've, been a, I've been a strong believer my whole my whole life, and okay. uh, so uh, I would have, I, I, yeah, I. I I could have only married a, a strong believer. Now, the good thing about my marriage is that my wife, Amanda, is not only a believer. I mean, and I don't think that's uncommon for two believers to meet, but when right. you have the same passion of faith and the same desire to have, uh, to do kingdom and to have kingdom impact yeah. and to do it in the way that we're, we're trying to do it. I think that's been the, the greatest thing is that we're, we're true partners, not only in our marriage, but in what we're trying to accomplish. You know, we, when I've interviewed um, uh, members of the Protestant clergy who were married and I'll say, you know, if they change our rules and they let Catholic priests get married, do you think that's a good thing? And every pastor to a person says, you better find a woman who believes as deeply as you do and is into ministry as deeply as you are. And it sounds like that what you, that's what you found with Amanda. A hundred percent. And yeah, and I think that's that that is the uh, the advice that we all give each other is yeah. uh, marry well, because it's, yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lifetime decision. And uh, and I think it's also a picture of uh, in many ways of God's relationship with us. But yeah, we 
uh, we take it very, very seriously. And, uh, and I got, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. Well, let me ask you now, when I do weddings almost every weekend, I do ask every couple to write me an essay on why of the billion people you might've ended up with, why is this the one? Uh, aside from the fact that she's obviously a woman of enormous faith, what was so great about Amanda that you said, I'm going to spend my life with this woman? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, yeah, I think it really was the level of passion. You yeah. know, I mean, she's beautiful. She, we, we get along, which is huge. We have a similar sense of humor. We like a lot of the same things. That's, those are all good factors, but uh, she, she's passionate. She is fierce. Uh, and I'm a passionate person as well. Um, but in many ways, she brings out even more passion in me. She has strengths where I'm weak. Um, I think part of it too, honestly, and this has been a huge influence on The Chosen, mm. is she, I think, is even more in tune with the spirit than I am in many ways. It's something <laughs> that I'm actually trying to work on and get better at. But I think that she, like many women, have, I think, I think men have a tendency to let things get in the way. I think that mm -hmm. whether it's our desire to accomplish something or our kind of our speed, you know, our, our work ethic, um, it, which is oftentimes defined in, 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 in compartments. Yeah. Whereas my wife, who has a tremendous work ethic, works harder than I do. Um, <laughs> but she, she, she's able to compartmentalize it in a way that uh, she's just remains, I think, in tune with and open to the spirit. Uh, whereas I'm, I, I sometimes can get like I, 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 I'm focused on my work at times, or I'm focused yeah. on trying to figure something out, and uh, and I don't always time, let myself uh, be more open and 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 listening as well as I should, and and that's something that she inspires in me as well. Dallas Jenkins is our guest, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction. He is the creator and director of The Chosen, which uh, literally millions of people watch. I wanted to ask you, we had recently on our program, uh, Jonathan Rumi, who embodies Jesus on the program. Uh, he is extraordinary in so many ways. How'd you find him? Well, about seven or eight years ago, I was doing a short film for my church's Good Friday service, and it was... <clears throat> actually the beginning stages of what turned into The Chosen was my desire to tell stories of Jesus, but from different perspectives. Um, in fact, as a Protestant, I didn't know much of this, but I've been hearing from a lot of my Catholic brothers and sisters who've said, this show is very Ignatian. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's that, that, that sounds cool, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> and uh, they mentioned that, uh, that it's this concept of imagining yourself in, in the scriptures. You know, when you, when you read scripture and you're, when you're praying to actually place yourself and imagine what things could have been like. And uh, so we uh, this was this idea of doing the crucifixion, but from the perspective of the two thieves. And we filled in their backstories and we take, we kind of take them um, back and to show what might've led to their, uh, to their crucifixions. And then they encountered Jesus while on the crosses mm -hmm. and Jonathan auditioned for, for one of the two thieves ah. and he did a great job, but there were two other guys who were really great and uh, fit the roles. And I didn't have anyone to play Jesus because all the people who auditioned for Jesus were really awful. And so <laughs> uh, I thought, well, Jonathan seemed to have a nice spirit, you know, uh, and he's clearly a good actor. Let, let me see uh, him audition for the role of Jesus. And 10 seconds into uh, his audition, I, I thought, oh my goodness, um, this is, I mean, it really, I, I really had a, the, the same kind of experience that I think a lot of people are having when they watch The Chosen was mm. uh, he's just beautiful and he has the gentleness and kindness, but also the masculinity. And yeah. because, because I feel like a lot of portrayals of Jesus have been either or, right. and he just seemed to embody so many of the different traits. 
And I remember when we were filming the short film at a rock quarry in Illinois, I, I actually said to several people, this is the best portrayal of Jesus I've ever seen. And it's only several, it's only a couple minutes. Yeah. So we started doing that more often each year uh, or every other year we would do vignettes or short films for my church, different stories, different moments of, uh, of Jesus, but from different perspectives. And so when it came time that we had the opportunity to do the chosen, he was the first person cast. I mean, that was the easy, easiest decision that I've made. Right. Right. And, uh, and you've, uh, I think you can see the, the impact that his performance is having on people all over the world. Yeah. And by do, I don't know if he shared this with you on the program, but, but playing this role has strengthened his faith. He's a, yes. he's a passionate Catholic at the yeah. time that we first did that short film. I would say he wasn't that, I don't want to yeah. speak for him, but I know that he was in a transition period of his life. And I don't think his faith was very strong or personal or passionate. Yeah. And uh, over the last, you know, six, seven years, it has, I think his faith and his practice has have been revived, and no, uh, and, no and doubt I think about that's it. Been a really cool thing to see. No doubt about it. One of the first interviews I did many years ago, and he became a good friend, was the film director Frank Capra. And sure. one of the things that Mr. Capra said was, especially when he made It's a Wonderful Life, was that uh, in a scene where Jimmy Stewart finally breaks down at the bar and asks God for help, he said uh, that scene and every other scene, he decided to pray for the actor before filming it. Uh, do, do you bring prayer into into the set? I mean, like a guy like Jonathan does a great Jesus, but do you pray for him? Absolutely. And it's so it's wonderful that you mentioned Frank Capper, who is my number one influence, um, my favorite filmmaker of all time. Uh, if, if there's one filmmaker who has most influenced everything that I do, it's uh, Frank Capra. Uh, I, um, I, I, we don't do corporate prayer on the set. Um, mm -hmm. I would say probably more than half of our cast and crew aren't believers. Um, it is a, I don't, I don't try to kind of enforce my practice onto the set. Yeah. We keep it uh, as a professional environment. Um, and, but yet everyone on the cast and crew knows where I stand and I do have uh, prayer time in the morning that they are welcome to join. But most of my prayer on, on the set is me going into what I call the wilderness uh, okay. partially because that's literally that we shoot oftentimes in wilderness like <laughs> locations, but in the morning, um, every morning I, I, I sprint literally sprint out to kind of a, a, a lone area, kind of a, where I can get away from everybody. I'm trying to kind of get my body going, get my breathing going. And then I, uh, I do spend time where I just say to, to the Lord, all right, uh, this is your project. And I want to empty myself of my own ego of my own preconceived ideas I want to work hard. I want to be wise. I want to be clear. I want to be prepared, but I also want to be open. And so, uh, yeah, I, I pray for um, the, the project. And then on that day, whoever I'm working with, I oftentimes will say, give them uh, wisdom and clarity and give them um, an openness to whatever you have for us. So that's, that's uh, for sure, I, 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 and I, I can say oftentimes throughout the day, there are moments when I think God drives me to prayer by almost intentionally uh, putting me in these, what my <laughs> wife calls Red Sea moments, where the Egyptians are trying to, you know, escape and the, uh, or sorry, the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites right. uh, and, and they get to the edge of the Red Sea and there's nowhere else to go. And the only thing left is for a miracle to happen and for the seas to part. And I think, Feel like I got God puts me in that position on an almost daily basis for the express purpose of forcing me to turn to Him, and uh, I'm like, all right, got it, got it, yep, Red Sea moment. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to turn to you, and uh, that's a regular occurrence. Dallas, uh, you said in another interview, and I was impressed by this, that you know that when you're dealing with a story that's scriptural and about the Lord Himself, that inevitably you're going to please some people, not please others. 
when I have a homily on Sunday, if 12 people at the front door say you did a great job, but one says that was an awful homily, I don't know why, but the rest of the day, I'm going to focus on the negative. You get negative feedback inevitably. It's part of the creative process. What do you do with it? Well, what's important to me is I don't want to focus on the negative comments, which yes, every single day, someone publicly says that I am a false prophet, a heretic, a blasphemer, (laughs) leading people to hell, all of those things. I'm sure you've heard that yourself. (laughs) Um, And uh, but also every day, and I and I, I'll explain what I mean. Why, why I would share something like this? Also every day, I'm told publicly that I'm one of the greatest human beings who ever lived, and that this show has changed their lives and their families' life. I can't be driven by either. Right. Um, right. I want to make sure that I'm driven by pleasing the Lord and uh, and my wife. <laughs> that she's probably second behind the Lord, and who I'm making sure I'm pleasing. Um, I, w- I want to make sure that I'm not motivated by by the praise or by the the hateful comments. So what we do, though, I do believe that there can be some constructive results that come from how we respond to negative comments or criticism. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to engage with them. We don't want to waste time. Some people right. who, who go that strong are never going to have their minds changed, and I don't want to try to change their minds, and mm-hmm. I don't think the show benefits from me taking that kind of time. But the world is watching, and we want to model constructive dialogue. We want to model how people should respond to hateful comments or, or even uh, intent, well-intentioned criticism. Because some people, we have a lot of people who watch our show who mm-hmm. are new to the faith or who are wrestling with issues. And there'll be, they'll see someone comment and say, you know, why did you do this? Or this is wrong or whatever. And some of them might go, oh, I, did, I guess I didn't know that. Let me, I wonder what Dallas or the chosen has to say in response, because I had a question, I had a question myself. So we Mm -hmm. use it as an opportunity for discipleship. Um, If someone just said to me privately, you're bad, you're, you know, you're worthless, your show is bad or or whatever. um, Then I, that's, that that doesn't, I can just ignore that and, or um, not try to use that as an opportunity. I don't bring that to the surface, but so much Mm -hmm. of this is public that I do want to take the time to use it as an opportunity to explain certain things that we're doing because it can oftentimes cause our viewers to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And the end game of this show is ultimately to cause people to pursue a deeper faith, to pursue a relationship with Christ, to know more about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so um, that to me, sometimes criticism can be an opportunity to help people do that. Okay. Dallas Jenkins is our guest. We talk about the chosen. Dallas, um, when you're, you're touching sometimes 90, hundred million people, it's got to be something that you dedicate yourself to so powerfully, and you do. Here's what I'm concerned about, and I'm sure it's a concern to you, too. You're not just married to Amanda. You're also the dad for four kids. How in the world do you make time to be uh, a fully engaged dad while making this amazing gift to the world called The Chosen? Yeah, well, it's not easy. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, but, but, but it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I see people say, I see, I see this from fathers sometimes in the, in the film business, especially where there's a lot of family issues um, because people will say, I had no choice. I had to take this meeting or I had to go on this trip and my family will understand, or we're going through a season where we have to be super busy, but eventually it's, it's to provide for the family and then eventually things will settle down. And then of course things never settle down. Right. But Sometimes I know I've said to someone, can we meet on Friday night or can we meet at this time? And they'll say, no, I can't. I have a prior engagement. And I don't, I, it's not like I go, well, 
you need to prioritize me <laughs> and that prior engagement needs to change. I accept it. And people accept it when I say the same thing. Mm-hmm. But yet we don't necessarily always treat our families as that prior engagement that we need to hold to. Right. Or if someone was sick, if someone went to, you know, had to go to the hospital for two days, and they said, sorry, for the next two days, I'm in the hospital. People don't go, hey, wait, that's unfair. We needed to have this meeting. Well, that's what I, that's how I treat my family situation is mm-hmm. that if I don't prioritize my family, if I don't prioritize being a father, then there will be disaster that yeah, is in, yeah. ir, 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 irredeemable. And so um, we're moving, for example, to Texas next month, because that's where we're building our permanent chosen home. And, and I don't want to be always, every time I film, have to be leaving my family for two months and having yeah. them just visit for a week or two and hope that that, you know, fills the well of my family relationship. It doesn't. So as a family, we're moving to Texas because that is ultimately our number one priority. Um, God can use other people to be, to steward the chosen. God can use other people to speak at a conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, God can't use anyone else to be the father of my children. And so (laughs) that's going to always be my number one priority. And, uh, and yet, of course, we're still trying to follow God's calling on my life in, in my career and in my ministry. So we just yeah. try to do it together as much as possible. And um, I might try to make sure that I'm always maintaining this, the temperature of my family. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be always number one. You may remember uh, Tim Russett, the great moderator of Meet the Press and a wonderful yes. journalist. And I, my last question to him in our interview was, you know, if you were gone tomorrow, which sadly he was, uh, what would you want to be remembered for? And I thought he'd talk about his journalistic career. And he said that I was the father of Luke and that I was there. You know, and that's what you're saying, too. At the end of the day, your kids need you. And uh, anyway, I want to go back to another dimension of family life, though. Um, When you look back, Alice, on your own upbringing, um, what did your parents do right in raising you? Wow, these are these are great questions. Most people that's I I love this. Um, Well, my dad, I think I think the number one thing is uh, he was there. Um, Uh My dad uh, is Jerry Jenkins. He's the author of the Left Behind books, which, you know, sold 60 million copies and kind of dominated uh, his life and our, our family's life for several years in, in, a, in a great way. But there was a time when he even had a full-time job during the day, and then he was writing books uh, on, on, on the side, quote unquote. Um, but what he did was he just kind of sacrificed perfect sleep because he wasn't going to sacrifice <laughs> family time. So he would work during the day, then there was dinner and family time, and he never missed you know a game. I mean, I'm sure he missed a couple here and there, but he never right. missed uh, my, my, my or my brother's games. He was fully locked in as a father and husband during that period of time at night. And then when we went to bed, that's when he would go back to writing. And he said, I'm never going to you know, work um, and, and do my writing before the kids go to bed. Yeah. Now, of course, sometimes he put us to bed at 430 in the afternoon so he could hold to that commitment. But no, I'm kidding. But he <laughs> would. Um, but, but he always honored that. And so I remember you know, there would be times at, you know, 10 o'clock at night where 1030 at night where I was heading to bed and that's when he would start writing. And uh, so that's his being there and constantly uh, being present. And uh, in addition to all the other great things of teaching me God's word and teaching me to love uh, Jesus and to love others, all of those things happen too. But but him being there allowed me to see firsthand what it's like to be a man, what it's like to be a humble servant of Christ. And th- I think those are the things that most stick with me. What about mom? Same thing. I mean, my Same mom thing. was a full-time, my full, mom was a full-time uh, wife and mother. Okay. And uh, which I know isn't everyone's journey, but for us uh, just having her present, she was 
also strong. I mean, she was very strong as a disciplinarian, strong in, in love as well. And so um, I just grew up in a, what I would, what I call a safe environment, sure but that did. doesn't mean safe. Like we, you know, we wore helmets and, and elbow pads everywhere we went. Um, and it doesn't mean that she, you know, kept us from the world. It was right. just, I knew that in, within my family, I was protected with love. I was protected with discipline. And um, I knew that there was nowhere I could go where their love wasn't pursuing me in the way that God's love pursues me. Dallas Jenkins is our guest. We're talking about the great program, Chosen. Um, the Chosen. I wanted to ask you something about, uh, you mentioned a couple of moments ago that there are people on the set, people in production who are not believers. We, we had on a while back, Edward Asner, Ed Asner, the actor. And, uh, and it says in Wikipedia, he calls himself an atheistic Jew. So I asked him during the interview, you're 92 years old now. Are you still an atheist? And he said, well, the closer I get to the end, the more I'm hoping you people are right. When, when you deal with non-believers and you work with them closely, do, do you try to uh, invite them in or do you just respect the, diff- the, the, the distance? How do you handle the non-believer when it's so integral to who you are, Dallas? I would say it's a it's kind of a middle ground. I, I don't necessarily, I mean, of course, I invite them in in the sense that they know exactly where I stand. I'm sharing my faith on a nearly daily basis. They're working on a show that's about Jesus that's <laughs> rooted in scripture. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having these conversations consistently about their characters and about who Jesus is. And my job is to, as a, as a believer and as a director of this show, is to uh, shine a light on who mm-hmm. Jesus is. And my job, I consider to be gathering. You know, my wife uses the term, we're gatherers, because Jesus talked about that in, in that parable of the, of the nets, mm-hmm. that the fishermen uh, would get, gather the fish into the nets, and then they separate the good from the bad. They take the bad fish, the fish that aren't are, are rotten or whatever, and they toss them back into the ocean. And he said, that's how it's going to be at the end of the age. And, and then when he, in, in episode four of season one, Jesus says to, uh, of the chosen, Jesus says to Simon Peter, uh, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, and I want you to gather of all you know people of all kinds. I will sort them out later. So mm-hmm. I don't consider it my job to, and every person that I meet to try to uh, convince them of one way. I just let them know what I believe. I let them know what who Jesus is, and uh, and and then I believe that God can sort that out. So uh, it is an integral part of my life. I don't meet anybody really for too long without sharing that part of my life. <laughs> but on the set, I don't consider it my job on the set to convert everyone to salvation uh, in the mm-hmm. 12 hours that I have with them on that day. Right. I just want to point them to who Jesus is and uh, because that's what my life is about. Uh, so I, I wouldn't consider myself a preacher. I'm not all, I don't I walk around pointing at people saying, you know, convert to my faith. Right, right. Um, I just, I just try to put a spotlight on Jesus. Okay, I, I like that approach very much. I want to go to something I don't think you've filmed yet. I've only seen the first season with my hundred-year-old mother and I watching on DVD. But I mentioned that because uh, uh, one scene that always gets me in trouble that maybe you're going to film one of these days is Jesus and the Canaanite woman, and uh, uh, she's looking for healing. He says, "I've come for the children of Israel, not for the dogs of other lands." And she says, "Even the dogs are entitled to the scraps that fall from their masters' tables." Jesus suddenly sees the light, and he says, "What a wonderful response!" And of course, he heals her daughter. I mention that because when I preach about it, I talk about, "Isn't it great to see the evolu- evolution of Jesus?" Where even though he's been taught these prejudices by his uh, Jewish upbringing, he moves beyond prejudice and bias. Anyway, when I say stuff like that, inevitably I get into trouble by people saying, are you suggesting that Jesus, who's divine, 
was also growing as a human being? Well, yeah, I am. But my point is that how do you, because you're dealing with it on a, on a daily basis, to respect the divine, to respect the human, and not compromise one for the other. You walk a fine line. How are you doing it, Dallas? <laughs> well, that's isn't that the eternal question? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I don't believe that I'm going to settle the the debate and the discussion of God versus man uh, here in the next 30 seconds. However, <laughs> um, I would say that it is that constant tension. And you, when you you mentioned you get in trouble when you talk about that story, uh, I mean, I, I get in trouble just, I mean, I, on, on a previous episode in season two, I showed Jesus preparing for the Sermon on the Mount. It's a 10 second moment where he's walking and he's kind of wrestling with how to communicate a specific truth. And it has turned into by far the most controversial thing I've done on the show. Wow. I didn't, you know, I knew it would, you know, raise a few eyebrows and upset maybe a couple of people. I didn't realize that the most controversial thing on the chosen, it would be 10 seconds of sermon prep. Dallas Jenkins has been our guest. Dallas, for the folks who are listening and watching to this program, I, I took the easy way out. I got the uh, DVD, but the folks who want to find out what is this thing the chosen all about? How do they find it? Yeah, the most common way, and the, I would say the best way, although yes, DVDs are wonderful and e easy, but they do cost money. The show is totally free uh, if you want to watch it on, on the app. So you go to wherever you get your phone apps, Google Play or the App Store, you download The Chosen, we're very easy to find. And it can be on your phone in just minutes, uh, less than a minute. And it doesn't require an email address. It doesn't require a subscription. It doesn't require a dime from you. Now you might be thinking, I don't want to watch a Jesus show on my phone. <laughs> I agree, I don't either. <laughs> Our distribution partners invented technology that literally allows you to connect directly to your streaming device. Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, Chromecast connects directly to your streaming device and you can be watching it free and easy within a couple minutes of downloading the app to your phone. So I know that for some people that's a little nervous. And so you can, you can get the DVDs. They're on the app. They're on our, our website. Uh, they're easy to find as well. But uh, the future of, of, well, the present and future of, uh, of technology is people watching on their streaming devices. Yeah. And uh, we've made a way for you to do that free and easy. We require nothing of you. If you do feel led to make the show, you know, continue so, and so that it can be free for others, uh, we give people the opportunity to pay it forward, which is a way of, of uh, buying, you know, buying the show for other people to make sure that it continues to be free and that we can do more episodes and seasons. But in the meantime, Within two minutes of listening to you and I talk, someone could be watching the show on their television free and easy. Sensational. I want to thank Dallas Jenkins. You know, Dallas, when people have asked me over the years, what's the film that uh, inculcates gospel values that I would recommend? And I was always pointing them to It's a Wonderful Life, because I think the whole story is there. But I'm happy to be able to tell people, you want gospel values? Go to The Chosen and support oh. people who are doing a great thing about bringing the message of Jesus Christ in a real, understandable, relatable, human, and divine way. And I thank you, Dallas, for all you're doing and continue to do. Thank you so much for The Chosen and for your witness. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And uh, I think it's not a coincidence that It's a Wonderful Life happens to be my number one movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. So putting those two things in the same sentence, The Chosen and It's a Wonderful Life, is the highlight of my career. So thank you for that. <laughs> As we end today's program, I want to thank all of you for being with us. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to past episodes by going to YouTube and punching in Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Losanti. And don't forget to click like and subscribe. Also, Personally Speaking is available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com or www.closeencountertv.com or www.ollmp.org. 
I'd like to thank all of you who are out there supporting our program. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook, at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jamsanti. Please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. Personally Speaking is made possible by the generosity of many. I hope you'll be one of the people supporting our program. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer of Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.